0: Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact us or call into the show, you can call at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can always email, send something to my mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, torah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many questions as I can. So uh, you all know I'm a teacher, I'm a fundraiser, and I, I just had just a, a beautiful story come my way this week. Such a beautiful story, worth sharing. So again, I'm a fundraiser. This is a big fundraising season for us, even with corona. So I'm calling a grandmother of the school. Nor I speak to the, to the husband. He hasn't been well. He may have had a stroke. And I'm, we're talking... So she tells me the most amazing story. Now I'm going to add parts to the story that she didn't say. She just had to tell me the gist of the story. So those who are in school, those who are educators, those who are teachers, there are always those children that school is not their thing, whether they're learning disabled whether they have focusing issues, whether there's anxiety issues. There's, you can ask the psychologists. We've had them on, the psychologists and the social workers. And and there's all kinds of children out there. School is a box. Some people fit in the box. Some people do not fit in the box. And those who really don't fit in the box, they they, they do suffer. For the first you know 18 years of their life, they, they can't do the things that they might be very good at. And we give them a hard time. How come you're not able to sit in the desk for three or four hours straight without moving? And how come you can't write down all the answers? And how come you can't uh, focus and, and be a soldier and act like a robot? Not everyone could do that. And that was a little overblown in the story, but you get the picture. So there's a child. There's really a, a few of them in the same family. They have certain learning issues, certain focusing issues, school was not for them. Class not for them. They're forever getting thrown out of class. They don't have an off button. They could be in a room understanding how to behave and they say the most inappropriate things out loud. They have to be sent to the office. They have to be sent home. Um, One of these children I know, high school didn't work. I think it was in and out of two or three different high schools. The parents figured it's not worth it. He cannot function in school. We'll just have to get him working. We'll, we'll apprentice him out. Whatever we'll do with him. Most of us look at that child and say, Nebuch, that child is finished. Poor parents. He probably won't even be religious. He'll probably get into drugs. He'll probably get into gangs. There's, there's no hope for this child. That, unfortunately, is the, the natural first response to such children. Okay. Now, we'll continue with the story. So this grandmother is telling me that her husband had recently had a stroke and he's he's getting better. They don't know if he'll ever be fully recovered. She wasn't ready to bring nursing help full-time into her home. It's quite expensive. So she said, you know, why can't my grandchildren, they're big and strong boys, maybe they'll be willing to move in with us. And they'll be able to help me because I can't pick up my husband. I can't bathe him. I can't help him get to the bathroom. I can't clean him up. I can't get him dressed. I can't get him into bed or out of bed. I can't. He's, he's, He's much bigger than me. But my grandsons are strong boys. So the grandsons moved in with the grandparents, which on its own is amazing. That grandchildren would be willing to move in and become the help for the grandparents. Story gets better. So it's corona time. Normally these grandparents would have moved in with their children because the grandfather's not well enough to run a seder, to run the the whole process tonight of Passover. And it, good, when it, when he was strong he could run the whole thing, but now he's a he's a he's he's weak. He probably can't even stay up for anything. Who's going to run the seder? No one could come to their house. It's corona. Hey have my grandchildren here. The loser grandchildren who couldn't even stay in class. Who even knows what they know? So the grandmother says to me, look, we we didn't know what to do. My grandchildren are here. They're helping us out. I said to them, I said, you're going to have to help us run the seder because your grandfather can't do it. And she was a little nervous. She was a little concerned. That She says, you know, teenagers, they want to hurry through stuff. The whole thing will take 15 minutes. We'll be done. She says, that's not what happened. Her husband, the grandfather, he only made it through the Kaddish, the kiddish, the beginning. He was too tired. They had to bring him to bed. Now, his bedroom happens to be right outside the dining room. She said her grandchildren ran a beautiful there. They sang songs, mirrors. They said some stuff. They translated. It was, it was beautiful. So those children who, as educators, and I'm not saying where I am because where I am I know that the, the, we're always looking to find strengths and help children and, 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 and help them develop. We don't crush them. As a very smart lady once told me, we have them in school till they're 18. Don't destroy them when they have a whole life ahead of them. So that's a very brilliant, smart thought. But but these children who many, I'm sure, looked at and said, they're losers, there's nothing to them, they won't be good, they're not gonna be able to help anybody their whole life, who knows what's gonna be. These children are amazing. They take care of the grandparents, take care of the grandfather, doing things most of us don't want to do. They ran a Seder. You know, we talked a lot before Corona. Most adults out there are not ready to run a Seder. And these two boys, who would be high school dropouts, or one hopefully is going to high school next year, hopefully he'll be successful. But, but these children, that school was not for them, their square peg didn't fit into the round hole or whichever way, if you want to call school a box, I have to say it the other way, right? They didn't fit into the box that society has created when it comes to school, had no problem running a beautiful Seder because school made sure, look, you're misbehaving, I have to send you to the office. Um, You're not uh, doing what's appropriate, we're probably going to have to send you home. We're not crushing you. We can't have you in school. School's not working for you. So we'll try to find other plans with your parents. We'll try to help. We'll do whatever we could. But we are not going to crush you to say you have no value in society just because school didn't work. So all of us, for just an amazing lesson, an amazing story I heard this week, it is important. Look, (laughs) there's so many people that have been happy that school hasn't been the norm for the last couple months. People tell my wife all the time, unfortunately. Oh, it's so good that the kids were off school. Uh, no pressure in the morning. The kids can eat. They, they go at their own speed. It's been so nice. Because it's true, school is not for everybody. School is not for everybody. And we're going to be getting back into school in September. Yay, the, the governor has allowed schools to open in September. I'm not sure what that means yet, but at least schools will open. And again, I keep telling you that my class in the backyard, it's beautiful. Does it mean the kids don't have their heads down? Does it mean kids' legs are not climbing over the tables? Does it mean they're not spacing out? Of course they're spacing out. I I can't even force them to focus like a regular classroom. But but the story is just such a powerful story to help us keep in mind. We don't all fit into the same box. Our children are not all the same. So we need to encourage them to be the best they can be with the tools that God has given them to. Happens to be the um, the last Mishnah in the tractate called Brachos is what I've been studying with my class this week. It's, we finished the tractate; it's very beautiful. We're third graders; we're very excited. We we marched down the street. Now I told him, I said normally in school we would dance, we hold hands, we go in a circle. I said we can't hold hands; it's Corona. So, we're marching down the street, social distancing, but we can still sing and still be happy, right? We got to do what works best for us. So, this mission has a fascinating concept. It talks about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then there's a strange word, which could mean with all your money, serve God with your money, or it could mean you have to serve God with the abilities that God gave you. As God only wants from me the abilities that I have, He. Made a whole checklist of what I am going to have and what you're going to have and what this child's going to have. We all have our list of stuff we're good at and list of stuff we're terrible at, and our job is to serve God with the package that He made us. That's our job, and when we recognize this, life is beautiful. These children that help their grandparents and are continuing to help their grandparents, they have a new life. They they suffered. Through school, it doesn't work out well when you know you're thrown out of high school. You don't feel too good about yourself. But when your grandparents have put you in a position that you could be successful, there is no greater feeling. These children are now alive. And that story was so worth sharing because it's um, timely. It's, I just heard the story um, two nights ago, I think. Uh, but it has nothing to do, for the most part, with what we're talking about in this week's story, Abortion. But maybe it does. Let's think. So, if you missed the beginning of this week's Torah portion, listen to the last show. Um, the beginning of the Torah portion, the Jewish people send spies. They come back. They slander the land. Give a bad report. The Jewish people cry all night. God says, you want something to cry about? You're going to cry. That, this was the night of Tisha by the way. The saddest day on the Jewish calendar because of this crying. You want to cry? I give you what to cry for, God says. Um... So God says, you're not going into Israel. You don't want, you get what you asked for. So this generation is not going into Israel. They're gonna, it's going to take 40 years till God kills all of them. And the new generation, the children, will go in to the land of Israel. So God gives the Jewish, children, the Jewish people three, well, probably more, but three special commands in this week's Torah portion. Part of it is for them to have the hope. They know we're not going in now. But when you get to the land of Israel, you have a lot of new commandments. So those three commandments are what's called chala, what's called nischayayin. I'm gonna translate. Don't worry, and tzitzis. So we're gonna we're gonna take our time talking about these three different commands. But as an overview, chala is when you make dough, uh, a piece of dough has to be taken off. And in the time of the temple was given to the priest, to the Kohen, it was like a present. Nowadays, most mothers will just burn it because you're not allowed to eat it. There's holiness to it, but it's impure, and we're not convinced who really is a priest, who's not. So you can't eat it, but we do separate it. That command exists even today. That's challah. We're going to get back into that soon. This means that on the altar in the temple, on the Mizbeach, you would pour wine. With many sacrifices, there was also wine. Brought along and that was poured into a special like funnel on top of the altar, and there was a, a hole that went through the altar, and there were these caverns underneath the temple where that wine went. That's the second command, and tzitzis is um, tzitzis is the fringes that you see people wear. I have my fringes. I don't know if they, you can see them in the in the camera. It's not worth getting up and showing you to. I have mine hanging out. It's if a person has a four cornered garment, he hangs strings on each corner of those four corners and there's knots and and loops and hang strings and uh, we'll get more into the details. I have to see how much time I have, but I want to get through a lot of stuff. So let's let's go back. Let's let's take them slowly. So chala, right again, if we take a combination of flour and water, if it's not water, it's debatable if that's required. You turn that into a dough. While it's in the dough um mixture, right? You haven't baked it yet. If you bake it, you could still take challah. It's no problem. But while it's dough, you're supposed to actually, most ladies will grab. It's interesting. It's one of those commands that could be done by men, but generally is done by women for the simple reason who's making the bread at home, right? In those days, you, you, you got up early, the, they made the dough, they made breakfast. So it was always common that the mothers would be taking that dough. What's interesting is taking of this dough is considered a very special command. And women have will make a special request. There's a, a, a perfect time when mothers want to pray for their children, want to pray for health, want to pray for anything. Um, they do it when they take the challah. I'm doing a mitzvah. It's a perfect time to ask God to help me out. There are even groups of women that will get together and will make special dough, which they'll turn into challah for Shabbos, and they will they will make special prayers, group prayers for people whether they need health, whether they're not uh, you know they're in hospitals, whether children aren't finding their match, whether they're couples that are childless. This is a very big special time. We call it a segula. it's like a treasure. It's a special time for people to go ahead and pray. Um the size is the amount officially. If it's half a five-pound bag of flour, you'll do it without a blessing. Once it's five pounds of flour, you will make a blessing on it. Um, As long as there's flour and water, you'll do it. It generally has to be a thick dough, generally. Um, Many will agree that even a soft mixture like a cake batter, technically you could also take challah from, but for those who know how to make cake, you're not using that much flour. Like Even if you make a couple big cakes, You've only used a couple, a couple cups of flour, so it's not so relevant. However, bakeries that make large amounts of cake, um, even on those batters, will be taking what we call challah. Okay. The the libations, the wine that we we really discussed, and now the tzitzis. So, if Angel is ready, I yeah he's ready. I have my letter of the week. Uh, we don't do every letter of the al in order anymore. But when there's a letter that I like, it comes up. It's uh, it's what we're talking about. So this week I have the letter Tzadi. A very interesting shaped letter. There's a flat base on the bottom. There's like two lines that are going up. It's called a Tzadi. It has a very hard pronunciation. It's the Tz sound. It's the first letter of my Jewish name, Tzvi. Um, I joke all the time with people. Um, it's not a common sound in English. However, it does exist. It exists in the word pretzel. Now, at the beginning of the word in English, it's almost unheard of. But in the middle of a word in pretzel, uh, the tz is there. I was joking, remember, with, uh, with um, Darren McCarty, we talked about my name, and is and pretzel, we talked about that, we joked about it, for those who heard that show. Um, anyways, um, its numerical value is 90 and it's the first letter in the word tzitzis. What is tzitzis? Again, tzitzis are those fringes that go on only a four-cornered garment. For the most part, as as uh, an American dress, in Western dress, we do not wear four-cornered garments. That was when you had those robes that we wrap around your body, those were more likely to be four-cornered. But we don't dress that way. However, um, many, most Orthodox Jews will wear a special garment that... Requires tzitzit. Anyways, obviously, I wear it under my shirt. I don't have to wear it on top. Maybe I see them. Um, they wear it on top, and the reason is because it, there's a few reasons. It's a real easy mitzvah. God says that I want you to wear these these fringes. It's like a it's like a badge of honor, but you can only wear it on a four corner garment. No problem. If the king says that you are allowed to wear a special metal to show that you're a friend of the king. But you can only wear it if you're wearing this type of garment. I'm going to go buy that type of garment to wear what the king wants me to wear. Of course, I don't have to wear it, but it's so easy. The great Vilnagone, before he died, picked up his tzitzis and he cried. He said, in this world, for a few pennies, I can have this special mitzvah called tzitzis In the next world, I can't. All the money in the world will not allow me to do this simple mitzvah. I have to do it in this world. And once this world is over, whatever I accumulated as far as good deeds, mitzvot I accomplished, everything else, it's too late, which is really something always important to think about. Now, tzitzis by the way, uh, generally translates as to look, Because I'm actually supposed to look at my tzitzis, and by looking, I will remember the commands. Now, it's interesting. You can only remember something that you know, right? If you studied all the commandments and you look at the tzitzis, the tzitzis can remind you about the commandments. If you never learned the commandments, it's like you're putting a string on your finger, um, but you didn't have a reason to put it there. So it can't remind you of something if there was nothing to remember. So, too, the tzitzis can help me remember stuff. If I went ahead and I have something to remember, now it happens to be very interesting. Um, the the um, it says like this. Just think about this. The the ninth plague in Egypt was darkness. So it says, "Why was the ninth plague darkness?" So it says like this. We're going to backtrack a little bit. Um, there, it, some people, actually says in the verse to see, to look at the tzitzis. So there are people, if you've noticed or not, I'm telling you now, they'll put the tzitzis right over their eyes. They'll look very closely. So it says it's a protection for blindness. So why, why is it protection for blindness? I mean, eh, you know, it's holy stuff. Okay, fine. But why is it a protection for blindness? So there's Rabbi Zilberstein. He has, he's written many, I don't know, he writes, they write all his stuff. his piles of books of stuff he said. So he says, like this let's go back to us telling you about the, the darkness, the ninth plague in Egypt. Why did the Egyptians deserve to be in the dark? They can't see. So he says, because they didn't remember that Jacob came down. And save their country from just being destroyed by having the water overflow. Right? The story with Jacob and Joseph and the seven years of plenty. And then the hunger came. And when Jacob comes down, the hunger is over. So the Egyptians enslaved Jacob's grandchildren and great-grandchildren. How could you enslave the grandchildren of the person who saved your country? Oh, because you chose to forget. People who choose to forget... The punishment is blindness. Okay, now very good. We just said the whole idea that I wear tzitzis so I can remember, right? So those who, who do things to remember God's commands, to remember what God wants, so you'll be blessed with eyesight. Amazing. There's all kinds of stuff with the tzitzis, uh, with talasim. So just a, a very beautiful story. We'll probably have to end with a story. There was a great rabbi. By the, his acronym was the Taz. He's a commentary on the what's called the Shulchan Aruch on on the on the code of Jewish law. Here's a big rabbi, and he wore an old tattered prayer shawl. A Talis is a prayer shawl. So he wore an old tattered prayer shawl, and the community said, "Rabbi, it's not nice." You're weary. It's old. It's tattered. We would like to buy you a new one as befits a person of your stature. So the taz said, thank you very much, but no thanks. <laughs> Why? He says, you know, there's a custom. The custom is that men are buried in their prayer shawl. And you know, whatever they put them on, not suits or other things. Whatever the, the person who dies is, uh, is, is wearing, they, the shrouds, the person is also wrapped in his talus. He says, this prayer shawl is going to go up with me to the heavenly court. And it is going to testify that during prayers, I concentrated on my prayers. I cried and begged and pleaded with God during my prayers. I never talked during my prayers. I said, I, I can't lose this. This is going to remain with me. Today, it reminds me, when I look at it, it reminds me how to pray. And when I die, I'm going to be buried in this prayer shawl. That, that is what I want for my protection. So it's interesting. The, um, the Belzer would, would tell children, um, when they put on phylacteries, tefillin for the first time, to remember, never talk with your tefillin. Don't talk with them. And when they would get married, he would see which ones were really good at not talking. He said, when you wear your prayer shawl, never talk. Except for prayer or study, never talk when you're wearing your prayer shawl. First of all, make your, your davening, your prayers beautiful. But more than that, when you're going to go to the heavenly court, when everybody, everybody dies, right? We all think we're not dying, but everybody dies. You're going to be wrapped in that prayer shawl. And you're going to go in front of the court. And the court's going to want to discuss your life. And you're going to say to the heavenly court, you're going to say, you know, in this prayer shawl, I only discuss prayer and Torah. If you don't want to talk prayer and Torah, I'm wearing my prayer shawl. I can't talk to you. As a matter of fact, interesting, in France, the custom was about 800 years ago that the father would they would, they would make a coffin out of the dining room table and bury the father in it. So first of all, the father would make sure to only do appropriate things around the table and it was sort of like it would accompany him right this person's being buried in his table how did he act around this table how did he behave around this table what words did he speak around this table it's just an amazing powerful concept of how a person should live their life and here we go again my time has flown by it is unbelievable as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to my wonderful sponsor and listeners. You know I can't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have David Angel in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Tweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.